the Mike Tomlin Game Day Podcast with Steelers Digest Editor Bob Labriola. Okay, Coach, uh, going over the team's performance against Buffalo, one of the things you mentioned was a specific situation in which Tyson Alualu punched the ball out and the Bills were able to recover. Is there a coaching point in there somewhere, and what would it be? You know, you create your fortune, and you create your fortune by building fundamentals uh, that push you in that area, and then you reinforce those fundamentals with creating a culture of hustle. And so it's a very technical thing to be ball aware and punch the ball out, and you maximize uh, those opportunities by creating an environment where everybody's hustling and flowing to the ball. And the reality is is we got the first end of that done with Tyson able to punch that ball out. Um, but whoever that guy was for Buffalo, that receiver that recovered that ball, was moving to the action a little bit better, a little bit more fluidly than we were, and he was in position to recover it. And that's why you're always working on what can become cliche-like things, building fundamentals routinely on a day-to-day basis, showing ball awareness and hustling to the ball. But you create your fortune in this business, and what, what some people might deem as lucky um, is far from that. Uh, you create that methodically with your approach and the culture that you build daily. Okay, so the ball's on the ground. Um, if a defensive player or a, a player on the other side, whether it's offense or defense, sees the ball on the ground, does he call it out, ball's on the ground or whatever, or is it more of a everybody keep your mouth shut? If you didn't see it, you don't want anybody, you don't want to alert the other team. The, the people that, that call ball – um, our people are always too far away to do anything about it. Right. Anybody within any kind of vicinity on either team that has an opportunity to fill that ball says nothing, just scrambles. Uh, any ball call you hear is usually someone on the periphery that is not in position to recover. Okay, if you're, not, if you're a player and you're not close enough to get there, I mean, are there other things you can do to help a teammate get it or – is what we're just talking about is making a ball call because oftentimes people are hauling tail getting to the ball, but they might not see it wiggle out. It might wiggle out on the other side of a ball carrier, et cetera. So the ball call is what you do. Um, in years past, man, uh, peripheral guys used to pull people off the pile. Um, now that's that incites a hostile environment, so that's illegal. Um, so we, we thoughtfully coach our guys not to get involved in that way. If they're not in the initial fray, they just have to stand on the perimeter and wait for it to be uncleared because clearing of the pile is now a 15-yard penalty. The one area of the offense that hasn't had to overcome injuries or inexperience is the offensive line. Uh, they're veteran guys who largely have been healthy through the regular season. Are you getting what you need from that group? I have, and I am, uh, continually. But it doesn't mean that their job is going to be an easy one. When dominoes are falling around them, it gets increasingly difficult for them to do their job. They're a group that's capable of winning the line of scrimmage and allowing us to run the ball. But if we're without significant perimeter people like Juju and Vance McDonald, then the number of people that they have to block in an effort to do that changes, for example. So I don't base their overall effectiveness on tangible things like numbers and results, which we can easily talk about. I'm in the business. I acknowledge that things that they need to do routinely change and, and the difficulty of it changes based on who's available, who's not available around them. Uh, I love the group. They're a steady in force. They've been an encourager to these young people uh, at other positions, quarterback, running back, receiver, uh, tight end. They've done a heck of a job of leading and being that consistent anchor for the group, if you will. Uh, but it doesn't mean their job has been easy. 
One thing you pointed to with respect to the running game was needing to divide the labor up among the running backs more decisively. Does that refer to number of carries, who plays on first and second downs versus who's on the field in sub packages, third downs? It could be all of those things. And the reason why I say it could be all of those things, oftentimes number of carries is about the, the size of the pie. Um, if you're playing a 75-snap game as opposed to a 55-snap game, there's 20 additional snaps that get to be divided up in different ways. So it's about staying on schedule and winning possession downs to possess the ball and have a subsequent number of snaps. So number of snaps is just an element of it. But roles in terms of situational roles, Benny Snell is carved out a niche for himself as a short yardage runner. In, in certain circumstances, we know that 30 is an every down runner. We know that Jalen Samuels has third down back like characteristics because of his passing game responsibility. So it's two different things. It's ro- situational roles that highlight individual skill set. And when you're talking about a divvying of snaps or touches, uh, there's always the size of the pie that's an element of the discussion as well. Uh, staying with division of labor with running backs, flipping it over to the Jets. Uh, how are they using Le'Veon Bell? He's the first and second down, every down back. Um, Because of his assets in in the passing game, he's also the third down back. So it's kind of a unique thing. They try to find ways to rest or supplement him. They supplement him him on first and second down with Belil Powell, and then they maybe substitute him with someone else on third down. But he's in all situations back. He's always been in all situations back. That's what he was for us. That's what he's doing for those guys. Um, you had some exposure to Marshall Falk uh, uh, earlier in your NFL career. Um, Le'Veon Bell, you coached him. Now you're going against him. Is it more difficult to minimize a guy like that as a runner or as a receiver? You know, it, it really just depends on their capabilities in terms of producing splash plays and how they're capable of producing splash um, Marshall was unique because, man, when he got outside the backfield, he, he produced splash plays at the rate of a receiver or like a receiver. Le'Veon is a dominant pass game guy, but not in that way. Um, it's out of the backfield for him. He's more Larry Sinners-like if you're talking about running back impact. He's a volume catch guy. He works underneath defenders and stuff. Marshall was a potential down-the-field guy. Um, he he became a legitimate component of their down-the-field attack. Um, so they, they're, they're, there's something to deal with, uh, but there's something to deal with in different ways. And I'd probably go more Larry Sinners um, in terms of running back impact if you tried to weigh uh, Le'Veon's impact in the passing game. Okay, Devlin Hodges gets the start today at quarterback, and you explained your reasoning for that decision at your news conference by saying that you look forward to giving him an opportunity to rebound. What did he do in your mind to earn that opportunity? I I think just his presence at this level of competition. I think that's one of the things that the ties that bind all of these guys. You know, there's certain things in their journeys. Their journeys are very different. Some guys are urban guys. Some guys are rural guys. Some guys have been playing football since they were in second grade. Some guys picked up football in the ninth grade. But the reality is to make it to this level, you face some adversity and you stared in the face of it and you've overcome it. I, I, I just That's one of the things that I love about this game at this level. Uh, these guys are very different, but the, that's a common thread. And so I like to call on that common thread. These guys are here because of their ability to do that. So I like to try to give them an uh, opportunity at this level to show that trait, that trait that got them here, that bounce back trait. Um, man, success is one thing. Uh, adversity is another. 
Um, anybody that's doing anything at a high level is doing it at a high level because they've proven that they're capable of overcoming adversity. They've had some success, no doubt, but they're capable of overcoming adversity. Those are the guys that play football at this level, whether they're a pro bowler or whether they're a kickoff, R5, they all share that common thread in their football experience. Uh, about Hodges, you also said, I think it's reasonable to expect them to learn from those negative experiences from last Sunday night and apply it to this next opportunity and really hopefully to not make those same mistakes twice. What is it that gives you reason to believe he's capable of that? That's a human trait, particularly in infancy, and we're at the infancy of his career. He learns and learns at a ridiculous rate. Uh, when my kids were young, I'd read these books, and they talk about their ability to take in information and how they learn at a young age. And, man, you could teach them to be bilingual at two and things of that nature. And so I, I, I draw parallels from that in terms of their football careers. Uh, when you're at the emphasis of your football career, man, you're learning, you're learning lessons week in and week out. I encourage these guys to keep a journal because it helps organize those lessons because there's so many of them. Uh, a young guy is learning a heck of a lot more inside stadiums than a guy like Marquise Pouncey that's been walking inside stadiums for a decade. So it's reasonable to expect him to learn some lessons, some of them negative, some of them hard, but apply those lessons and apply them quickly and learn in the way that our children do when they're toddlers and you see it and you see it almost on a daily basis. You also mentioned that you were looking for a good week of practice not only from the quarterback but from us collectively. Uh, what would you define as a good week of practice? Guys dialed in, guys communicating. Uh, it's less is less of those things than it is physical work this time of year. We shorten practices because you call on the cumulative body of work from a preparation standpoint to save that fuel or energy for the game, but also the nature in which we practice. We don't practice in shoulder pads and things because it's a, it's a task just to get people to the stadium with, with the cumulative effect of the physicality of playing 14 football games. Uh, so our Wednesdays are not as physical as maybe they are in September. So how do you measure guys dialed in? How do you gauge readiness? How do you gauge guys really infused into the preparation process? How they communicate, how they take the class from the grass to the grass, how they talk pre-snap, how they talk post-play in the assessment of what happened. And sometimes you could just stand back and gain an appreciation for the collective engagement by listening to those informal communications. Did you get it? Did you get what you were looking for? I felt good about it, but I wanted to. Uh, you know, the real measure is in how we perform, man. Uh, we'll kick this ball off in a little bit, and that'll be the true storyteller. What would you tell an inexperienced quarterback about going against a Greg Williams coordinated defense? Smile in the face of adversity in which he's going to work hard to create. We got to minimize the amount of times that, that Devlin is in those circumstances. And by that, you stay on schedule. Uh, if you're in third and five, you're going to see less of the things that you're going to see at third and ten. And so we all have a collective job in terms of minimizing the amount of exposure that Devlin gets to a Greg Williams functioning like defense. But when those things occur, he's got to smile in the face of it. He's got to deliver in the face of it. And if he does, uh, it'll disappear. If he doesn't, it will intensify. And that's just the reality of competing at this level. What do you need from the receivers in order to help him? To be where they're supposed to be. Um, more than anything, um, notice that I didn't say the catching of the football because the catching of the football can't be a discussion. That's why they're receivers. Um, it's important in terms of assisting him, of being where he anticipates them being, them seeing the necessary adjustments to the pressure packages and the coverages that he delivers in the same way. 
as you were uh, scouting uh, the two young safeties we're going to be watching here today, uh, Jamal Adams and Minka Fitzpatrick, uh, how would you compare the two of them? One I thought was an elite line of scrimmage or box player in Adams. One I thought was an elite uh, free safety, if you will, in Minka. And um, I thought they were equally impactful. Um, I thought Derwin James was was similar to Adams in that he had a chance to be a dominant player for a long time, but it was in the form of moving forward. And I think there's a difference between Minka and those two in that way. Minka's a center fielder. He's a traffic cop. Um, those guys are blitzers, run players, box players. Um, and it's just a matter of personal preference. Um, they're all pro bowlers. They're all going to be in consideration, I'd imagine, for all pro status for the next decade. We're going to be talking about those names, um, but they do it in a very different way. Is one more valuable, one style more valuable than the other based on today's game? I, I really think it's about the other pieces around them um, more than anything else. Um, you could, you asked me what I could utilize. I could utilize either one of those styles because what we're talking about is Pro Bowl caliber players. Um, but really it's about what's around them uh, and how they fit into the, the, the function of a defense. Um, you know, Jamal Adams is special as a blitzer. Um, Derwin James is special as a blitzer. Well, we blitz our linebackers quite a bit here in Pittsburgh. So the necessity of a special blitzer at the safety position is probably less urgent here than it is in other cities, for example. And so that's what I mean in terms of what's around them, whether it's in personnel or schematics, really has a determinant about the value that you place on the different styles.